Hi there, this is Sister Service. I've been thinking a lot today about um, confidence, actually. There are so many posts out there of women talking about how they're um, fulfilling roles in their lives, but they don't feel confident in what they're doing. And I have to just totally relate to that because when I was younger, I really felt like I was just failing at life, barely swimming above water. And, you know, how am I supposed to add to this world? Um, I need to be bigger, better, you know, I needed to be so many of these big, perfect ideals that I just couldn't even seem to even remotely grab. Um, and so oftentimes felt way beneath myself. And so I just wanted to do this cast so that you could hear that. Yeah. Someone like me also struggled too. Let's go back way, 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 way back. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I really struggled. It's hard for me to even bring up, but I endured intense bullying. And of course, when nowadays with youth, um, they use the word bullying as a joke. Like if I'm rude to one of my kids or they feel like I've wronged them in any way, then they're like, Oh mom, you're bullying us, you know, and they use it as a joke. But the type of bullying I'm talking about, is not the kind that's a joke. I'm talking about the kind where vicious things are said to you, the kind where, um, well for in my, in my life, people waited for me every day after school in junior high so that they could throw rocks at me. And um, they also broke my bike, um, bent the tire in half. Um, so, so many things. I, there's so many, li- there's a list of long things. We don't need to go into it. It was rough. It was hard. No self-esteem is where that landed me because I didn't have the coping skills that I needed in order to get through that. And so eventually that found me, I broke, um, on the inside. I, I almost can remember the day. Um, it's almost like everything came to a head on this one day in particular where one of my pets died and I felt like the whole world was just an ugly place. And so I just broke and I said, I'm done with school. I'm not going back. You can't make me go back. I don't want to go back. And my parents, uh, were willing to let me just stay home and do homeschool. And that was a very tough time in my life. And when I think about confidence, I think of that was the very bottom. That's like rock bottom. When it comes to confidence, you don't look people in the eye. You don't want to talk to them very much. Everything inside you actually does want to talk, but you just don't feel like you know how, or you're going to say anything normal. So you just don't. And yeah. Um, I also think of fast forward to the next year when I decided to pull myself up off the ground and I wanted to go and do high school like a regular person and I test in and they put me in all honors classes except for math and I am absolutely sure of one thing and that is no way did I qualify to be in these honors classes. In fact, I spent my entire high school career thinking that everybody just made a big mistake. I absolutely believed that I was not smart enough to be in those classes. Didn't believe it at all. I pulled okay grades, nothing amazing or anything like that. Um, but I just never felt like I belong. I actually believed that I was like just hiding in the shadows. Like, uh, they're going to figure it out soon enough that I'm not supposed to be here. 
And so you can see where what I'm talking about when I say low, low methods of coping with my life and my struggles, low abilities because of what I believed about myself. Um, because of a lot of these things, I really did not know my true worth. In fact, um, I went on through my life. I did get married in the temple. And um, after I was married, I had a baby. And I'll remember this moment like it was yesterday, the day that I kind of got my eyes opened a little. <laughs> what happened is I went in for a temple recommend interview. Um, it was my very first, like, you know, re-up. I, you know, this is the very first time I have to go in for the not going to the temple interview. So my very first let's renew it. And I sit down with the stake president and he just looks me in the eye and he says, do you believe that I have the ability to be a judge in Israel? And I was like, Oh yeah, I think so. And he's like, I have passed a judgment on you. Would you like to hear it? And I was like, what now? (laughs) I was really terrified. And he was being just, he wasn't being anything like his, his face was just very like, mild-mannered. I, I, there was just no way to read him, you know, like I didn't know what was about to come down. And for a second I panicked because I thought, oh my gosh, he's about to lay the truth on me hard. And I don't know how to handle that. And then he just said, you are a good person. When he said that, something happened that I can't explain. Every cell in my body just started to cry. I just burst into a billion tears in front of this man. Like I just fell apart. Like he just cracked the egg of my life. The shell just fell off. Like I could not, I believed him. I believed him. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked that I would qualify as a good person. And I know that just sounds so silly, but that's where I'm coming from. That is low. And that's when my eyes began to slowly be open. I think over the years of being in the gospel, I would hear people's words. I would hear them talking about it, about our divine worth. But I don't know if I ever could let that in until that moment. When he said that I was a good person, that he had judged me and he found that I was a good person. There was a freeing moment in my life to say, okay, stop judging yourself so hardly. Why? Your line of thinking is incorrect. It's wrong. It is against the Lord's way of thinking and you need to get to know him. That's when I started to, that was like kind of a turning point because up until then I had heard about people talking about their divine worth, but I never really bought into it fully until somebody laid those words on me. I know now that what he did was absolutely divinely inspired. I doubt that he does that with everybody. He obviously never did that again. I mean, I've met with him many times and you know, that was just like that one time deal. He felt inspired to do that changed. It was a, it was a turning point. I think we all have turning points in our lives and that was mine. So now, you know, fast forward about 10, 15 years. Well, goodness, it's been more than that. It's 20. And where I am at now, I can stand in front of a crowd 
that isn't even my own ward and talk to them about being confident. I can run stake events. I have been a PTO president. I have started a nonprofit drum and bugle corps down in downtown Phoenix. Like I, all of these things, all these big, big, big things that to other people would seem like way too massive. Like I was able to accomplish and I look back at how I felt so feeble before. It's so weird to me now. Now I'm just like, how did I ever believe that? How did I ever not know who I was? I don't think any of us want to be in... Well, I don't think any of us want to sin. Let's put it that way. And I don't know if you realize it, but when you think something that isn't true and you press that upon your own soul, it is actually a sin. You, anything that is contrary to the will of the Lord is a sin. That was a sin I was committing. I didn't even know it. I didn't even think it was that big of a deal. I thought that I was being humble. I thought that I was avoiding being narcissistic or something. So wrong. When we underestimate who we are, what we're capable of doing, well, we're just not reaching our full potential. I mean, you probably don't like hearing me say that it's a sin, but like I said, anything contrary to the will of God, to his knowledge, to his truth, that's what it is. Until we stop and say, huh, I wonder what God actually thinks about me. No, me personally, not on a broad term of how all, what he thinks of all women. I want to know what exactly what he thinks of me. Then you just don't understand your worth at all. So one of the key, most important things that I, I feel like I just tell every person I ever speak to Read your patriarchal blessing. If you do not have one, you need to procure one. You need to go and find out how to make that happen. Go to your bishop, say, I would like to get me a PB, which is what we call a patriarchal blessing in my family. Go get your PB. Everybody needs one. And even if you're 82, it can be a blessing in your life. How could a scripture made tailor-made for your life ever be a bad thing, you know? I know there's a lot of people who are afraid of them um, for several reasons, some of them being anxiety or worried about um, being like in a room with somebody with their hands on your head that you don't know, or maybe there's other reasons like you're afraid it's going to tell you that you shouldn't be dating who you're dating, whatever it is, take muster up all of your faith and then press through. Because what you're doing is you're putting faith in that God has, that he isn't lying when he says he has blessings to bestow upon you, that you trust him with your soul and with this important moment. So trust him, just trust him. If nothing else, go get your patriarchal blessing as a sign of trust in your heavenly father. That's it. Just do it for that reason. People ask about what age is the best age. There is no best age, but in my opinion, you need to be at least over 13 and you need to be spiritually ready to receive. Now, some people will say, well, my kid is a ding dong. I don't think he's ready to receive anything. Okay. Well, have you sat down? Have you talked about it with them? Have you got their 
perspective. My oldest, he wanted it right when he was 13. He was ready. He was just excited. He wanted it immediately. My next in line, my daughter, she was like, I don't know. I feel like I will be ready um, this time next year. And I was like, okay, you, that's when she turned um, 14. And so it's kind of been like a thing that around 14 um, is about the time where we kind of like just have the chat and talk about that. And some people wait until they're about to go on a mission. Uh, that's fine too. I just, I personally feel that you need it sooner. This world is getting wicked earlier and earlier. You need the direction sooner and sooner. It seems like so I, I'm all about get it before you're in high school. That's just me. That's an opinion. That's just FYI. Now, Let's hop back. Let's just assume that you've already got those things under your belt. Um, and for those of you who aren't LDS, if you're listening to this, if you're not a member of our faith, a patriarchal blessing is literally just visiting with a patriarch. He places his hands on your head. You receive a blessing that is a tailor-made scripture for your life, for the rest of your life. You can refer to it in your life. And I can tell you right now, thousands of moments when I've read my patriarchal blessing and I realized that this certain line meant something more than I ever could have understood to begin with. Um, there were moments after my, um, after I had my brain tumor removed that I was like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't see how this was a part of my learning. Why would, why did I need to go through this? Or, you know, just certain ideas that would pop in my mind. I would go read my patriarchal blessing. And I realized there was a certain line, two or three certain lines that were like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what this was talking about. Um, because instead of just saying one thing, it clarified it. And I thought that's really strange. Why would you need to clarify? Now it all made sense. Like interesting, interesting. Anyways, I, we try not to talk about them too much because they're very, very personal. And then if you do, you would be open to scrutiny as far as comparing, you know, like whose muscles are bigger. It's like whose patriarchal blessings better. We don't do that. We try not to in every possible way. Um, in my life, my patriarchal blessing has given me so much hope. So much hope. One of the biggest things in understanding how your confidence is built is understanding that it's about your belief in the future, believing who you're meant to be, that you are literally destined for greatness. In a, I went to like a fireside or something when I was 17. And the only reason I know that's because I've got a cute little journal that I've kept ever since I was eight. It's pretty much saved my life writing in it all the time. Um, and I recommend that for anybody that you know that is going through struggles. If somebody comes to you and tells you that they're struggling, like, oh, are you are you keeping a journal? So we'll really, really help you. Um, I was reading through it, and I hit that moment where 17-year-old me is like, I don't know why, but I feel somewhere inside me that I'm destined for greatness. So I wrote it on, on the back cover of my um, journal and it has stuck with me. There's something about that. There was something I knew when I was younger that, you know, I just never fully could tap into until I understood the will of God, until I understood who, who I was to him. 
once you start even to have a small peek into who you are, then you, you can grow from that. The problem that each of us face and the reason we don't grow in our confidence is because when we hit failure, we stop. We're like, see, this was clear indication that we should have never tried in the first place. And guess what? It is just the opposite. Um, there is this amazing line that is in my patriarchal blessing, but it's also in scripture. And it's just talking about how that failures are just stepping stones in our lives. You know, failure is so important to us. We, I can't stress that enough. If you had an event or you had, um, anything that you did in your life, um, you tried something, you tried to talk to someone and just failed. If you do not learn from it, then that's the real failure. That's something to be truly sad about. The rest of it is all chalk it up to learning. And guess what? Every single person on this planet is doing that. So if you rehash, oh, I can't believe I had this stupid moment with so-and-so. I just said something dumb and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Chalk it up to learning. And guess what? That person's learning too. So move on. Dwell on your positives because that's what Heavenly Father's asked us to do. Now, I'm not saying go and sin, cover it up, and forget about it. Whoa, no, no, no. What I'm saying is when you make a mistake, it's just a mistake and it's normal. I'm not saying that if you steal from somebody, oopsies, mistake, and let's move on. No, proper repentance is needed, especially when there is um, big sins involved. Past all of that forgiveness, past your repentance, past your ability to make restitution, you have a chance to free yourself and say, I learned a valuable lesson. You know why failure is so important? Because it burns. It burns your fanny. And when something burns you, you remember that lesson. Just like anything else in life, when you're a little kid, you know not to touch that hot stove because it hurt. You probably aren't likely to do it again. That's why deep, painful failures, there's a lesson there. The worst thing you can do is go through a hard trial and then afterwards say, there was no point to that. Oh, oh, you just hurt me a little bit. Like that scratches my brain when people say that. It literally scratches my brain. I just think to myself, no, 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 you, you did it. You missed it. Go back. <laughs> think it through. There was a lesson. What was the lesson? Let me take you back real quick. I've talked about this before, but to um, Christ's death. When he died, he was placed in a tomb. And Mary came to see him. And she was weeping because his body was gone. And this was the man that she absolutely loved. She, everything, he was everything to her and, and he would be everything to all of us. I think all of us can put ourselves in Mary's shoes as, at that, you know, at that door of the tomb, just crying our eyes out like they hurt the one gentle soul I've ever known. They destroyed the one person that I ever believed in. You know, you can feel that pain. 
it's just so tangible. You're just in that moment with Mary, and then she hears a voice. Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she doesn't look up. She's just still crying, and she just says, I know not where they laid him. They've taken him away. And she's just so upset. And she doesn't realize how close he actually is to her. The one person that she wants so desperately to be in her life, he is right there. Now, each of you and each of all of us can relate to this. Because in our moments of weakness and trial and sadness, we have no idea. He's actually closer in those moments. We're teachable in those moments. Therefore, he approaches and he's right there. I absolutely love that analogy for our lives. When we think about our confidence, who is it really placed in? Is it placed in ourselves and our abilities? Only as far as there is Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ directing our lives. If you have them in your life and you understand your purpose, why can you not have confidence in yourself? Not because I'm asking you to, why can't you believe in yourself? I'm saying, why can't you trust in them? That they're close by you and they're ready to help you in what you're doing. I um, think about um, Joy D. Jones when she says, thinking small about ourselves does not serve us well. Instead, it holds us back. Satan's greatest and most loveliest tool, I mean, he's got lots of them, but man, it's, it's making sure we never tap in and never know who we really are. Because if we knew, we would be on fire. And we'd burn this world up with our love and our service. If we found out who we were, this whole earthly existence would become easier for us to resist Satan. Think about that for a minute. Let that absorb into you if you only knew who you are. Because each of us feel like we're, oh yeah, we're heirs of God. Yeah, we know that. We're children of our Heavenly Father. What does that mean? That means something. The one thing that I want to leave with you tonight is just um, two things. What if you woke up tomorrow and everything that you believed about yourself came true? Think about that for just a minute. There's a lot of you who might feel that, you know, you're not really worth very much. And if you think about that, if you truly believe somewhere in the back of your mind that you were meant to be a queen and a priestess to the Most High God, imagine you wake up to that reality tomorrow. Do you feel deserving of that life? Do you feel that's a life that you can comfortably navigate? And why? Why? If, if so, yes. If so, if, I mean, if not, why? If so, why? You know, think about it. Just ruminate on that concept for a little bit. And I just go back to that last part of what jo- Joy D. Jones said. 
The Lord assures us that when we have virtuous thoughts, He will bless us with confidence, even the confidence to know who we really are. And I leave that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why, hello there. This is Sister Service, and tonight we are talking about confidence. And this is actually part two in that series. We are talking about confidence because, honestly, this is one of the things that holds a lot of women back. And as I've grown over the years in my own personal confidence, um, I realized this is something that needs to be said. Everyone needs to understand this a little better. If they did, they would be able to tap into who they really are, understanding that, and then they wouldn't settle for less. They would also, um, you know, realize the power that they have. Before I get into that, I want to talk to you about a very important thing. There's no way I got to where I am right now in my life without first learning as much as I possibly could about the area that I felt the weakest in. Sometimes in our confidence, we're, we're confident in one area, and but not in another. And so, you know, you want to first, don't just, I mean, you definitely want to give this to the Lord. You definitely want to keep these things in your prayers. You want to talk with him. You want to read your scriptures. And after you do, do all of those things, what you need to do is dive in to learn as much about that area as you possibly can. What I mean by that is like when I was first called as a primary president, I was absolutely shocked, first of all, because I did not think I would be worthy of such a thing. I mean, the reason I say that, and you would learn from, um, you know, podcast one that I had a very low self-esteem of myself and being called to that, I just never thought I'd be worthy enough in my mind, even though that was just, you know, my mind playing tricks on it self for years. So I get that call and I go to my knees. I'm like, I'm not confident in this. I'm probably not going to be really great standing up in front of a crowd delivering a talk or whatever. And the first thing I did was I was like, all right, I'm just going to try it. So I went and tried it. And the first two times were okay. And I almost call that the honeymoon effect of the first time you have a calling. Like the first couple times might be okay. But then the reality hits you and you realize you don't quite have the skills you need. Um, especially for me, I was noticing kids irreverent. There were things that there just weren't, um, you know, going my way that I thought it should go a certain way. Anyways, so I, I just hit my knees and it was like these, the, the feeling that I got from Heavenly Father and, and what I learned in that moment was that I needed to learn I needed to figure out what skills I was lacking and where to learn those skills. One of the skills I was lacking was just how to talk in a group setting and engage people, especially when you're young, like young kids, they need somebody a little more animated. And some of the best things I actually found were in a book called Teaching No Greater Call. And that book kind of transformed me because some of the things I accidentally somehow found out on my own, it was even telling me to do. If I had just read that book from the beginning, I wouldn't have had to go through some of those failures maybe. <laughs> 
But after reading the book, I started to gain a little more skill because I understood that, you know, maybe if somebody over here on the side is talking, I'm going to move a little bit closer to them. I had um, a lot of these different skills that I could draw upon in any given moment. Um, and finally culminating in one day, I was I was called to be a stake primary president and I'm visiting other wards now and I'm helping these women um, make those changes. But, you know, in that role, you're just in a, a very careful role. You do not give people feedback unless they're asking you for it because that's, you know, rude. And you also need to allow people the um, blessing of failure. You need to allow them the chance to work things out on their own. You you don't need to hover over people and tell them what to do all the time because that's that's also wrong. I mean, we're all in learning processes, and if someone's ahead of me, um, I I kind of want to learn things as much as I can on my own as well. But I now know to ask for help, whereas maybe where that person is, they're not yet ready to know to ask for help, and they might receive that incorrectly. Anyways. Let's go back to, so we're learning. We're learning as much as we can about the subject we're weak in. After that, now we're going to put ourselves into a position where we will have to use the skill. And that is scary. If you feel uncomfortable, for sure you are in the right room. Because being uncomfortable and pushing yourself a little bit is where you got to go. That's, I know that's failureville. I know that's, that's setting you up to fail is what you think. But what you think about failure is incorrect. Um, failure is a great thing. It's how we learn. And so sometimes things don't go exactly the way we thought they were. And we view it as a failure when actually it wasn't a failure at all. It's just that we perceived it was. Um, so sometimes having a feedback from a third party who's honest is really helpful because you, you might perceive that it was a failure and someone else is like, it was great. It was wonderful. Um, so, you know, having some perspective is very, very helpful. Having feedback is helpful. Um, putting yourself into uncomfortable positions is really the whole idea in the calling system. People always say, oh, I don't understand. I got a calling and I did it for a year and a half and then they moved me. Because back in the olden days, you know, people had callings that lasted a lot longer or whatever. I even noticed that with my own, um, my husband's family. There, uh, my, my husband's grandmother, she lived in Salt Lake, you know, downtown Salt Lake, Utah. And she was a primary, a stake primary president for like 24 years. Ridiculously long time. And, you know, nowadays you don't, you don't see callings quite lasting that long, especially out where I am. I, I'm out here with a lot of young families and, um, we're lucky if a primary president lasts even three years because, you know, that's the turnaround rate down here. Plus, um, you know, we need to challenge ourselves. I think that's the reason why callings are a little bit shorter than we might think. You might think in the long scheme of things, oh, a person should get one calling their whole life and just get really, really, really good at that one thing, you know, but that isn't exactly what the Lord is expecting from us. He's expecting for us to constantly be putting ourselves in new situations, challenging and growing ourselves. And so oftentimes you find people in uncomfortable positions. Sometimes you have people who truly will tell you, you just need to say no to a calling. 
and I'm going to tell you that's silly. Unless you've got a good reason, then what reason have you? You're afraid? Well, that's weird. You're uncomfortable? I'm sorry. That's a part of growth. Trust Heavenly Father that he set this up in a correct manner so that we have the most opportunities to grow. The first time I was called as a uh, wolf leader for the Boy Scouts, I didn't want to do it. Of course I didn't want to do it. I had a baby in diapers and uh, I had no kid in the program. Why would I want to do it? Um, but I tried. I tried my best. I didn't have any training very much and I just, I kind of just did whatever I could. And I felt like I stunk at it. And then I moved away to another um, apartment complex that wasn't very far down the road. And the old ward called the new ward. And now I was doing wolf for both wards. And I realized really quickly that uh, you shouldn't, first of all, move away just to get out of a calling. <laughs> there were other reasons, but that was, you know, that might have been on the list. And um, I, I learned really quickly that people who try are in short supply. And that's what we need so desperately is people who are going to try. Um, because trying is where the beginning of growth begins, right? So we listen and we learn as much as we can. And then we got to try it. You have to try it. Um, I was thinking about David O. McKay. You know, you guys know I love him. Um, in one of his talks, he said, We have greater responsibility than ever to learn and to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have greater tasks before us. The final work is not all done yet. We need courage to enter into new realms. We need courage to meet our present situations and conditions. And that is why I have chosen this text. Be of good cheer, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that have hope in the Lord. Which is Psalms 31, 24. Um, then he goes on to say, this prom in this promise, there are two principles that should be cherished by every truly religious man, faith and courage. I love it. Faith and courage. He, if he could take two principles that he wished everybody had, it was faith and courage. You might find that odd. Um, but really, if you think about that, what, what is he implying? keeping the faith, you know, not, not just giving up and then having courage, you know, let that your hope is not in vain and you're just going to go face the front lines. You're ready. You're ready. Even if it means failure, you're ready to do it. If it means following in the Lord's way, it's kind of interesting. I find that it's so strange that in order to succeed, we have to be courageous in our failures. And I feel like I talk about failure a lot, but that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, get out there, go do the things. Stop worrying about the pain of failure and stop dwelling on those negative thoughts. We need to change those thoughts and we need to get to work. That's actually how you get rid of thoughts that are ruminating, that are, you know, negative, And you're like, Oh, I can't believe I did this or that. No, 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 no. And the second those thoughts show up, you need to say, Oop, it must be time to work. And you go do something, go do something. I don't care what you do. Go wash your dishes, go meet a neighbor, go sing a song, just go do something else. You do not sit with those thoughts 
in the negative way. You go read your scriptures. You change the channel in your brain. Change that stage in your brain. Now I'm going to probably slaughter this next quote because I'm just coming up with it out of my brain. But I think it was Heber J. Grant who said that which we persist in doing becomes easier. Not the nature of the thing itself has changed, but that our power to do has been increased. That which we persist in doing. You know, that which we persist in doing, if you keep on challenging yourself, you have the chance to just keep on growing and growing and growing. How exciting is that? And now we get to this point where it's what do we do with this confidence that we've got? Um, I think of David O. McKay again. Faith in God, trust, confidence in our fellow men. The courage of our convictions will enable us eventually to achieve any righteous cause. He's also saying that not only should we have confidence in ourselves, but we need to have confidence in our fellow man. Um, it's To me, it's interesting that the idea of confidence is so self, 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 you know? But actually, when we're out there in confidence, we're a different person than self, self, self. In fact, it is the opposite. Um, you know how the scriptures say, you know, he who loses his life shall find it. You can't really have a full enriching life as a confident person unless you're out there listening and thinking of people first. That means when you meet somebody, um, you're saying, how are you? What was your day like? And then you're listening. Confident people generally make you feel better about yourself not only because they radiate confidence, but also because they're asking about you. They, they care about you. I am awful with people's names and I, it's something I've been working on for years and I've slaughtered a couple because I'm not afraid to fail. I'm, I'm totally fine with, with saying, is, is your name? Let me guess it. Was it this? And I shouldn't do that, but I do sometimes. And then the times I'm wrong, I feel like a dork, but at the same time, I'll never forget that person's name again. You wreck a person's name once, mm -mm, you'll never forget them. (laughs) I can tell you right now, uh, there's a guy in my ward, Brother Rogers. I will never forget his name. Another guy in my stake, you know, um, I will never forget his name. So many people that I've ran into that I'm like, oh gosh, I can't believe I did that. Uh, Yeah, their names etched in my mind forever. And only because I care about these people. These people are people that... I want to learn from. In fact, the most confident people in this world are people who, um, they're learning constantly from other people. They want to know about their stories. They want to be outgoing and friendly. They, because it's not just confidence. I mean, you can get somebody who's really arrogant and confident and, but it's not, it's inflated. It's not rounded. Um, it's like all prophets have that ability to be a charismatic and that's the real words I guess we're looking for when we're confident we're charismatic and that means that you remember people's names you're happy to see them like when you see them you're like oh hey buddy you know and you're thinking about them you're giving them your words because you finally realize that your words mean something your words carry weight and right now you're thinking, no, not me. Uh, you probably, your words carry weight, but not me. No, stop that. Because 
everyone's words carry weight. When your three-year-old comes up to you and tells you you're fat, man, those three-year-old's words, they carry some weight. <laughs> the honesty of children carries weight. So if you think that children's words matter to people, now imagine your words, a person who has education, who is somebody that somebody loves, your words matter. And if you think that your words don't, generally it's because you've been careless with your words and you don't believe you're a person who is important. If you're careless with your words, you don't want to stop for a second and self-master yourself before you open up your mouth. When the first thing that pops out of your mouth when you see somebody is a negative thing, uh, you didn't care one ounce about anything else other than vomiting up your emotional thought. And that's not okay because that will actually lead you to less confidence if you understand what you did was wrong. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we just say something and we have no idea. And so it's not wrong to want to question yourself. I think one thing about confidence is that you do need to actually say to yourself, okay, am I being arrogant or am I looking for the glory of the world? Am I, you know, the, these, those are natural things to want to ask yourself. Um, did I do this because I truly love somebody? Um, you know, those, those are, it's very natural to want to question yourself in a healthy way. And that's actually healthy. You know, that keeps you on the path of being a disciple of Christ and, and staying in the realm of humility while still being confident. You have to be able to walk that, that line because it's a very thin line, but you have to be able to ask yourself those, um, those hard questions. Also, I want to talk quickly about what can, what kind of destroys our confidence sometimes when we're out talking with people, um, what we don't realize is we're constantly radiating, um, the feelings that we have. It's unspoken actually. Um, you can meet somebody on the street, uh, on the road at church and some of their feelings or thoughts will actually sprinkle on you in radiation and you are absorbing them. You don't even realize it. And what happens is if you're not very confident when somebody doesn't look at you or doesn't say their usual hi or whatever, you immediately go, Oh, I did something. You just internalize it instantly. What confident people do is we, we sit there and we say, Oh, that person, that person is thinking about something. That person's having a hard day. That person, um, is low energy. They don't have, uh, some blood sugar going on there. You don't over analyze it because nine times out of 10, it's that person. That person is having a struggle. I know in my own life, have you ever been just sitting there staring off in space? And then a friend's like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, Oh, I didn't even see you there. And I was like looking right in your general direction. But I was like, you know, zoning out for a second. Part of that is probably because of nutrition, probably because of sleep, probably because of exercise, a thousand reasons. doesn't matter. What matters is you got to understand people do that. It's a part, it's normal. And also people don't go out of their way sometimes to be inviting because they themselves are dealing with insecurities. How many times I've been told, oh, there, 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 there's a click in our ward, you know, like as I've been growing up so many times I've heard this from other people, you know, 
Oh, there's a click in our ward. Those women, they only stick to themselves. Do you know why they do that? Because they lack the necessary confidence to be inviting for other people. And you're thinking, no, 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 they're just snobs. They don't want other people. It's, it's actually kind of unlikely. It's more likely that they just lack the skills to be inviting and realize who they are. Because if they knew who they are, they would be like, oh, wow, you know, I'm an important person. I better make sure that I am giving people of, of my time and, and my smiles and my invitations and my my blessings of happiness and smiles, you know, you just don't realize it. And so there's people who literally think so much of you and you yourself think so little of yourself that you've now accidentally made yourself into a very uninviting person or maybe even sticking to just people you know that like you, those two people, and you just only sit by them. And I get that, like you want to be sitting with the same people, your friends or whatever, but try to remember who you are and be inviting of other people. Uh, that's, that's why people say that there's clicks. The second you talk to somebody and you feel weird afterwards, sometimes that weird was never you at all. It was just being sprinkled on you by that person who didn't, who wasn't even aware that running in the background, they were like, Ooh, I didn't brush my teeth today. I can't even believe I'm talking to this person. And they have a big smile on their face and they're chatting, but they want the, the talk to end so they can go. And you're, and you're thinking, I feel weird now. It had nothing to do with you. That person need to brush their teeth. Um, there's many, many times in fact, where people are feeling um, something that's absolutely hidden. And for some reason or another, oftentimes, because I'm so aware of it, um, I, I could almost pinpoint it and I could almost just go, Oh, okay. Let them do what they need to do. Or, Oh, it's definitely not me this time for sure. <laughs> um, because there are times where people feel socially awkward. They're not, they don't feel confident in speaking to other people or they, whatever it is, whatever it is, afterwards, you're like, I was the one that was awkward. It might not have been you. There are times though, that it will be you. And that's okay. Um, I even to this day, even to this very day, I have moments where I did something slightly awkward. Like, oop, that was weird. <laughs> like a lot. Okay, just gonna admit that. Every person I know, some of the most confident people that I know, people who are like millionaires, like a couple times over, even they will tell you that they're awkward. Everyone thinks that they're awkward. It's just hilarious. And I mean, when I say everyone thinks they're awkward, I mean themselves are awkward. Nobody else thinks it at all, but they think it of themselves. And it's hilarious because we all do these things. And we just don't, we're so stuck on ourselves that we don't realize that everyone else is that way too. So it's okay. You had an awkward moment. Guess what? People who are following Christ are going to give you a second, third, fifth, 12th chance, 100th chance to show that you can be a normal person and say normal things. <laughs> Sometimes in default mode, what we do in order to relate to other people while we're trying to instill confidence in ourselves is we're like, you know what? Let's both talk about something that I know for sure we both hate. And 
unfortunately, that is also not going to um, leave that person feeling great either. So if you can, if you notice that you're starting to talk about something negative, um, try to try to switch it up for something positive. You'll be so much happier. That person will be happier. They're going to want to be around you more. Try to change it, um, the subject to something else or find its proper positive spin. Um, I think all the time about when I'm talking to somebody and they know that I might not like something. And so then now they're going to do what we call bash. (laughs) They're going to bash, bash, bash on the one thing that they know that we both can agree on that we don't like. That's not helpful. In fact, sometimes it can go really dark. And that's where we do like these things we call trauma bonding, where somebody who doesn't like someone else um, and they've had a trauma with them, they're going to connect and we're going to talk we're going to bash this one person to death. Um, or we're going to share our traumas about different people and, and then bash them to death together. Even though it's not the same person, we could just bash, bash, bash. Like, like what I'm trying to say is like, sometimes parents get into that realm, like, or in-laws or whatever, whoever it is. Um, it's not okay. You shouldn't do it. And if your relationships are only built on those trauma bonding moments, that's not good. So that will not instill confidence in you. You will feel weird and icky afterwards. And you're going to be like, I don't understand why I feel that way. Um, as you become, as you graduate to higher and higher levels of understanding in the gospel and in confidence, you will realize that you're more sensitive. You become more sensitive to the spirit. And so after you talk like that, you're going to feel bad and you're going to be like, why do I feel bad? Sometimes we have to realize that we've got to watch what we say and realize that there is a negative effect upon our lives when we talk negatively. Now the opposite is true. When we talk about positive things and we're super positive, guess what? It lifts us and it lifts the other person. So if you can't find something to be joyful over and share every day, okay, then you're, you know, you don't really have a lot to talk about and maybe you need to stop talking for a little bit, regroup and find your joy, find the things that are exciting about life. And those are the things that you share even funny things, whatever, but make it positive if you can. I mean, um, I was talking a little bit with my sister earlier today and I said to her, you know, when we were talking before you had your baby, um, was any of the things I said ever helpful to you? And it was, it had been a long time scare because she had, you know, tried for eight years to have a child and it was a long road. And then when she finally was pregnant, it was like scary because you know, what's going to happen. And I said, you know, is there anything at all that I could have said that would have helped you feel more confident in, you know, this impending pregnancy and, and the delivery and everything. She said, you know, the things you said helped because the positive things are, are what kind of like help you to have a little more faith to hold on that things will be okay, hopefully. But there is no substitute for just doing it. The things that we're scared of, and then we gain the confidence afterwards. 
I, I find such wisdom in it because that's the whole point of this life is to come down here, try a bunch of things and, and then build from that because there was no other way to get that understanding about how life and how, how things work, um, in the realm of our heavenly father. He just, he was like, let's just do it. Let's, let's try it. Let's let you do it for yourself. I'm not going to, um, you know, orchestrate your every single move and thought, which was the plan of Satan. And I think a lot of us agree that we wanted that, but I feel like oftentimes we are just hoping for Heavenly Father to step in and just tell us exactly what we need to do. We're always waiting too. We're, we're like, well, I'm sure that I'll be confident when I lose weight. I'm sure that I'll be confident when I get better at putting on makeup. I'm sure that I'll be confident once I graduate, blah, blah, blah. Once I blah, blah, blah. Once I buy, blah, blah, blah. Once I drive, blah, blah, blah. Um, you, we're always waiting. We're waiting on something. We're not sure. We're waiting on Heavenly Father to, to just tell us how to be confident. We're waiting for no good reason. You have to realize that because we're all still learning, even the most confident people, the people you admire, they're still in the process of learning. If they're alive, they're still learning. Um, they're on this earth too. They're trying to figure things out as well. So did, do you think they had to wait until blah, 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 in order to try to become a confident person? No. The idea behind being confident is that you know who you are. And so, yeah, you can know who you are. You can, you can do and, and learn, but until you're faced with new obstacles and constantly are in new positions, you don't always grow immediately, um, in that realm. So whatever it is that you lack confidence in, maybe it's talking to, a loved one. Maybe it's, um, trying to, um, learn a new skill. Maybe it's just taking yourself more seriously, uh, wanting to just, uh, be more friendly with people, make more friends, whatever it is that's holding you back. You need to start to set your goals to change that. When somebody comes and says, I don't have very many friends. Like, okay. Let me, let's talk about this for a second. Okay. What have you done this week to make yourself more friends? Well, I haven't really tried anything yet. Uh, well, okay. Right there, <laughs> right there. Have you tried anything? Because that's it. Until you press yourself in those areas, you've got to press yourself. And the only way we press ourselves is with a goal. And it might sound weird, but you might need to say today, I'm going to say hi to two people that I've never talked to before. That's all. That's all I have to do. And by the end of the next week, your new goal is okay. Every day this week, I am going to say hi to those people that I said, um, that I, you know, I first met last week and I'm going to ask them their name, introduce myself. Um, what, so, so small, small steps. Um, I think the mistake some people really make is that they think tomorrow I'm going to be confident and I'm going to go do this massive wild giant thing. That's not, not really how it works. Um, 
you will definitely fail because you haven't really learned very much about it. But hey, you'll learn from that. So it's okay. The first time I was called, or I, oh, I almost said called. Whew. The first time I was asked very politely to be a vice president of our PTO organization at our school, um, I was like, oh, wow, you really think I could do that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. Like, okay, we'll do it. And really quickly, I realized that the president was, she just had a lot on her plate and she was ready to be done. And one day she was like, I tapped out. It's you. You need to be the PTO president. I'm like, oh, oh dear. <laughs> it's not something I've provided for. I never wanted to do that. Um, but now here it's being presented as an opportunity on my plate. And I totally was not ready for it. The very first meeting we have is a big group of women because we're about to plan a carnival and I'm just no Robert's laws. I'm like, okay, let's just start with, uh, you know, let's open up and talk about this subject. Well, there's this person over here. She wants to do this food and th no, this person actually wants to do a different food. And this other person over here has a business with food and she thinks we shouldn't even do food. And I I'm sitting here in the room full of people with all these different voices and they're just going, running rampant, talking over each other. And it starts to become a kind of a fight. And it was awful. It was ugly. I tried to uh, just be my best little peacemaker person I could be, but I didn't feel like I had the reins at all. And it was an utter mess. And the second I left, um, somebody made a phone call to the last president and she calls me within three seconds. You know, I'm just driving away and she's like, so how'd it go? And I'm like, it went great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. No, it wasn't great. That was a big fat, like I wanted it to be great. So I said it was great. It was not great. I'm a total liar. That was a lie, 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 lie pants. And I can only realize that now because I'm, you know, out of the situation, <laughs> but I went home, had myself a good cry. And then I thought about it for a little while where I went, where I went wrong and realized that there was a lot of crucial steps and a lot of skills that I actually needed. It was the first time my eyes were opened to the skill of leadership and what that looked like. And, um, oh man, you know, that, that was an eye opener. I kind of wished that I had had like three or four years of watching how, um, a PTO president runs things before I had that land in my lap. It would have been a lot better. Probably I would have at least had something to draw from, but I didn't have anything. And so that's why I always say, you know, doing something really big and massive, uh, super massive is maybe not your best bet, but being in an uncomfortable situation is growth. And I definitely took that opportunity to learn as much as I could I slowly started growing a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. By the time I left, um, I felt at least 50% more confident than before I started uh, that I could do the job. And that made me happy. And the only reason I left is because they called me as a primary president and, um, I feel like all of those, all the steps in my life that I went through all led me to where I am today because Heavenly Father had a work for me to do and I needed some confidence. I needed some leadership skills. I needed to learn. And those were the steps that I needed to take to get there. Heavenly Father has a plan for you. You are destined for greatness and you have to believe that about yourself. If you doubt that, go read your patriarchal blessing. 
in there, you are going to find that Heavenly Father has so much more in store for you that your immediate small dreams are actually quite small in comparison to what He sees in your future. And I hope that you can catch a vision of that and realize that it's possible. It is totally possible to be the most confident you that you can. It begins and ends with work. Hard work will be a blessing in your life. Read that patriarchal blessing and get to work. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is Sister Service, and tonight we are talking about confidence, and especially as it comes to um, teenagers and youth and children. Um, Right now, if I was to bring my little daughter in, she is nine, if I was to ask you to tell me um, some things that you want her to hear in life. Um, you might say a lot of positive things like don't listen to other people and you just be yourself and you you would say these great positive things and for just a second I want you to remember that that's the kind of internal talk you're supposed to be having in your own life we always counsel other people how to do things and then we're not doing it ourselves and so I just want you to be reminded of that before you try to tackle the idea of bringing confidence to your children The way I see it, and especially at um, the age of youth, like really small kids, is you're first just teaching them, constantly teaching them who they are. The way that you model behavior in your home will actually determine the self-esteem or confidence level that they're going to have in life. And I know that's an awful thing to say, and I'm sorry, but that is the truth. And if you're not the only person providing a role model, maybe there are other people. Those other people are also going to have that type of influence. And so it's so, so important to be careful of the type of influences that you have in your life. And sometimes you have no control over that. And I understand that. And I honor you for trying right now, even despite those hardships. You might be the only person you might be standing alone in trying to build confidence in your children. Sometimes with little children, as we instill all of these wonderful, positive things that we're saying to them, sometimes we forget that we need to be a little more careful with the way we talk about other people around them. So-and-so did this and they're such idiots, you know. Oh, now I know that there are certain things that my mom would consider being an idiot. You know, there are things out there that my mom judges harshly over. Um, you know, I mean, there that's, that's kind of opening up a child's mind. If you can't stop for a second and think, what does it sound like as a kid to hear my parents say this? then you are missing the boat, I think, when it comes to children. Um, So for little kids especially, I feel like we just talk to them about who they are. Uh, We set them up to win before the problem arises. So before the first day of school, you're going to talk to them about some of the things they might encounter and how to deal with that. And you need to make sure that you're leaving the window of 
talking open between you two. And that really happens by not being super harsh and critical. When your child spills milk or when they do things that are very typical of their age, if you're super harsh about it or if you're just in a bad mood and you act badly, you close lines of communication, you close trust. So you become less influential in that child's life. So I'm just caution you on that. And you also have to remember children are super ready to forgive. I mean, kids in kindergarten can punch each other and the next day be best friends. So if you mess up, don't worry. Your children are going to give you chances. They're going to give you a lot of chances. Um, so I feel like when they're a little bit younger, it's actually a little bit easier because that seems like more normal. What, where people start to get really confused is how to talk to teenagers and to help them. And as I tell you about my plan of attack for teenagers, I want you to also think about if you are not modeling this behavior yourself, you are also, you know, so you might also want to be taking this advice into your heart as well. There is a plan of attack that I have been working on to try to help um, teenagers uh, get through these things. You know, I'm talking to my kids every day. My daughter is 15. My son is 13 right now. Um, I've got an older son too, but I, I'm constantly trying to talk to all my kids about this. And one of the plan of attacks is first, identify the weaknesses that you feel you have. And that's a little hard, but it's actually also a little easy. It's hard because you don't want to face it and actually talk about it out loud. But it's easy because every teenager is highly aware and almost over aware of what their weaknesses are. And they're going to have at least two or three or seven or eight um, fake ones that they think are weaknesses and are not even weaknesses. So it's a great time to talk about who they are and what you believe about them and just identify the weaknesses. That's hard because there has to be a level of trust built between you before that conversation can happen. So that's why it's hard. It's easy because they know what it is. They know their weaknesses. Um, in most cases, sorry, I'm dealing with a cold here. The next step two on that plan of attack is you're going to want to attack the weakness just zero in on one of them. You, you know, when you got a big list, that's too much. It's like eating a whale. You can't do it all at once. Zero in on one weakness and you're going to attack it with knowledge. You're going to read up on it, look up scriptures on it. You're going to learn about what people who are successful do, um, who don't have that weakness and, and you want to learn more to be more like them. Almost every apostle has a story that can relate to what you're searching for as far as building yourself up from those weaknesses. So there's loads of information out there. We live in an era of massive amounts of information at our fingertips. Let's utilize that. The third attack, we're going to attack it with positivity. And, <clears throat> excuse me, one thing you have to remember with positivity is that what I'm talking about is your internal self-talk. You're going to think of something and you're going to think of how horrible it was. Oh, I can't believe I did this. What did I say? I missed an opportunity. Whatever the negative talk is, you have to identify it and you have to kill it, squash it with positivity. 
It's almost like there is a play at all times going on in the stage of your mind. And yeah, there are moments where that are, you know, in a, in a play, there are, are happy moments and sad moments and whatever. But the second you stay on that topic of negativity, your play has now become nothing entertaining or positive or wonderful. Nothing good is coming of that. The, the people watching that are all leaving. Okay. So positivity, you want to make sure your thoughts are positive. In fact, you know, it's funny. Self-talk is actually, um, an important skill like Navy SEALs, special forces. They use that, um, to get through hardships. They'll actually you know, teach them to talk positively to themselves. I can do this. I can do this. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've done something really hard. And I thought, I don't want to do this. I'm scared. (laughs) And then I went, Nope, no, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. You can do this. You're worthy. You are able, you are following your heavenly father and he's going to help you they that be with you are more than they that be with them. You know, that's that old scripture and, and you self positive self-talk it, it works. It sounds crazy. I know, but I'm telling you it's works. You need to do it. Squash the negative thoughts, replace it with a positive one. Positive ones show faith in your heavenly father. They show for it's, it's actually an act of faith. It's an actual act of faith. Every time you give an actual act of faith like that in your heart, in your mind, there's a blessing. Okay. Because you are moving towards faith. So go ahead, have positive self-talk. Even when things go wrong afterwards, don't go, I can't believe you did that. You're dumb. You, you, you thought you could do it and you knew you couldn't. Nope. You do not do that either. You're like, I am important person and I need some, I need to learn from this. This was a great opportunity for learning. And that's how you self-talk. Be very careful about your internal self-talk. Also be very, very curious as to why you do what you do. If you did something weird, you need to go, Ooh, why did I do that? You need to dig down a little further down to the roots of what motivates you sometimes. Sometimes you do something and you're like, I cannot believe I did that. Okay, why did I do that? Dig, 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 dig. Sometimes the root of why you did what you did is simply that you do not have any blood sugar in your body. You are grumpy. You didn't get enough sleep. Sometimes those are the roots. Other times the roots can be more complicated, like um, a deficiency or neglect from your childhood has caused you to feel insecure about a certain thing. Okay? Attack it with positivity. I can do this. I am not a victim. I am a survivor. You know, you need to retrain that thinking in your mind that even if Christ came down to this earth and he suffered all of these horrible, horrible things, oh wait, he did, that he was able to rise from that. That right there is enough faith and hope to showing you it is possible that you can go through terrible things and Keep that internal self-talk positive. You are worthy. You are not a victim. Stop hiding in the corner and wearing that um, label. It's not going to do you any good. Um, The next thing after you've attacked with positivity is now we're going to attack it with 
confronting it. This is actually the hardest step. This is what nobody wants to do because it scares you. Um, this morning we had a great talk with my kids and I, and one of them was talking about how they wish they were more friendly and would, you know, just make more friends. And I was like, well, what's the goal then? Uh, wait, what mom? <laughs> like, well, let's just set a simple, easy goal. Like maybe you could say hi to one new person today that you've never said hi to before. And, um, maybe you could just see how many you could do in one day, you know, and then you take it from there. And so this morning was hilarious because I, my son was all for it. He's like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this. And my daughter who tends to be a little more introverted was like, Oh, okay. I, I'm sure I can do it. Uh, like, no, you can do it. You got to confront it. It's the only way to grow. When you confront your fears over and over and over again, you will watch them subside. I'm not saying that because it's a Hallmark card cheesy thing that I've seen somewhere when I was reading, okay? It's from real life experience. I am telling you I am who I am today because I confronted over and over. I've gotten so used to putting myself in super, super uncomfortable positions that now it's become easy and it's been easy for a while. I've been able to do a lot of things that I'm like, Oh, I'm used to this feeling. Here we go. Here's another big event. Here's another, um, uh, moment when I've got to teach five classes in one day. And you know, like just so many moments where I'm put on the spot and I just jump right in because I'm used to that. Recently I've been branching out and doing other things to, um, you know, make that, that be confronted more. All of those fears of self doubt confront them more. Every successful person you've ever met in your life does this. They confront, they grow, they confront, they grow. And even when things are failing, like big time slap down failure, they learn. And they're the first to tell you the importance of failure. So step number five, after you've done confronting and you're facing your fears, number five is review your failures. And also this is a perfect time to review them in a different light. Maybe you have to realize that your brain may or may not actually have correct memory. Um, there are people around you that might have been what, like in involved in what you were doing. Your best bet is maybe to ask them, especially the ones that you know, for sure are going to be very honest, but fair and kind. You're going to want their feedback. Feedback is a gift. Sometimes, sometimes it's stingy that's okay. That's how we grow. But you need real intel because sometimes your brain isn't so interested in the facts. It's interested in its own interpretation of the facts. And if you've spent a lifetime developing negative um, thoughts about yourself, well, your brain is predispositioned now to only gather that intel. So maybe you had a little cough when you were doing your podcast. <laughs> you know, maybe you've, maybe you, whatever it was, are you counting those? And if so, you're going to need Intel from other places before you can review your failures or review what you've learned. So step five is reviewing your failures, review what you've learned. 
and then give yourself permission. You need permission to say things like, dude, I just rock that. Look what I just did. Give yourself permission to really feel the growth and feel the confidence for a second. Give yourself a second to really go, I just did that. Yeah. We remove the joy from everything because we're so scared of the roller coaster we're on that we don't stop for a second because we're ready to just hop, hop, hop on the, the next roller coaster. Stop for a second and just be joyful. Thank your Heavenly Father for the growth that you just experienced. In that moment, you really gain a little bit of momentum to go on to the next hard thing that you're going to confront. And you're probably listening to this thinking, oh, that sounds like a plan. I, I'm not, I don't have time for weird plans like that. Well, until you get serious about the things that you're, that you really want, until it becomes this serious where you've got yourself a plan you're going to follow, mm -mm. you're not going to see anything change in your life. You want weight loss? <clears throat> you got to get serious. You want real change in your life? You got to get serious. Things that matter really should matter. Your priorities should actually be just that. Your priorities. So, you know, if you're not ready to confront your confidence yet, okay, then back off a little bit and, and get a few things in order. But let me also tell you something. Don't wait too long. Because if you feel a little push that you need to be checking into this, then you need to jump on it. And you're saying, oh, but there's going to be a better time, a better, oh, you know, <clears throat> after I'm done being out of school, when I graduate, when I'm done with this calling, that's really hard. There is no time like the present to try to become a better person, to try to do a little more. And all you need to do is seek direction from your Heavenly Father and from your patriarchal blessing. And you're going to be able to do that for these kids that you're over. These are the things that you're going to be saying to them. I know it sounds like I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to you about how you'll be approaching them as you review the failures, as you allow them a moment to stop and give them permission to be joyful that they accomplish something. You know, you're going to change with them if you try to do this little five-step plan of attack together. Face the fears together. And you're going to find that you do things like this. This is how moms and their kids or dads and their boys. And this is how these deeper relationships are formed. You see other people out there in the world and they're like, yeah, she let her mom be there for her baby's birth, you know? And everybody's like, whoa, really? Yeah, because they're that close and that's achievable. But you, you have to go through some things together and help each other, be there for each other. There's a lot of people who want to parent with an iron fist. And that's okay because we're all on different levels of parenting, right? What happens is if you parent with an iron fist, then you just need to know that your future, as far as what you want in the relationship from your children as they become older, is probably going to be the result of that iron fist way. 
it's going to be more like, I've got things on my own. I'm too busy to talk to mom. I'm, I'm living in another state type stuff. And if you're okay with that, it's totally fine. The relationship that you want it in the future is what matters right now. So attack confidence together. You and your kids can do this. And I hope and pray that I've said something that will help you in that. So I'm going to leave you really quickly with the words of David O. McKay. Our homes radiate what we are, and that radiation comes from what we say and how we act in the home. You have to contribute to an ideal home by your character, controlling your passion, your temper, guarding your speech, because those things will make your home what it is, and what it is will radiate to the neighborhood. And then it goes on and on, but those words, you know, if we try first in the home, that's where we're first commanded to go forth and to develop ourselves. It's in the home first. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why, hello there. This is Sister Service, and I am talking today about fear. Many times in my life, I have faced down my fears. Um, We all have fears. It's a part of life. Some fears are very healthy to have. Like, you know, you don't want to get too close to the edge of the cliff. Strong breeze might come by and you might get off balance. Uh, Especially someone like me. uh, I wish I had more of that healthy fear. It wasn't that long ago that I was helping a teacher in her classroom and I was standing at the top on one of the counters helping her put something away above the top counters and um, ever since that brain tumor surgery back in 2010 uh, I don't have the best equilibrium and so of course I fell off there <laughs> it was really embarrassing and I think one of the reasons we have fears is because we're afraid of being embarrassed or we're afraid of whatever these other things are that motivate us to finally have some of these irrational fears because Healthy fears, well, you know, they help us. They help us keep safe. That's why we don't put our hand in a fire. But unhealthy fears, the fear of, you know, embarrassment and worry, those are the ones that tend to be irrational. In fact, worrying is a misuse of our imagination, especially when we're worrying about things that um, are not actually happening yet. Um. In my life, fear is the one thing that I could say over and over and over again has stopped my progression. Um, I was afraid to start these podcasts. I was afraid to um, do any of the things that I feel like Heavenly Father's inspired me to do. Every time I step into the unknown, it's going to be, there will be fear there. And fear of the unknown can be healthy, but oftentimes it makes you want to be something what they call risk adverse. And in life, you don't always want to be very risk adverse because everything is a risk. It's a risk getting into your car. It's a risk, you know, showing up at work. (laughs) It's like getting on a plane. Everything's a risk at some level. And so we take all of these risks into our hands and we try to do the best we can with the life that we've been given, right? But sometimes the risks need to be opening your mouth, sharing the gospel, 
uh, doing something positive for someone else, stepping outside your comfort zone, letting someone serve you. I mean, I remember once I had a woman knock on my door and she lived next door to me. She was a brand new member of the church and she wanted to come in and wash my dishes with me. And I remember thinking, why? I mean, maybe she thought I was dirty or something and I, and I, now I'm, and I should be ashamed of myself or I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like totally taken off guard and my fear of letting her see my dirty home and whatever. I, I had to muscle that down and go, come on in. And so we just washed dishes together and it was great. Um, I feel like many times when fear pops up, if it is something that I can't say is healthy or helpful, then I have to fight it. If you're not actively fighting a fear that you have in your life, you're probably not growing. And that's kind of a part of our sojourn here on life is to figure out what is healthy, what is unhealthy and ditch all those things that are unhealthy. If you're worried about what other people think of you, um, you're not totally off. I, I do think part of that is a healthy fear because um, part of that is like, well, I'm worried that I am doing things that people would know are wrong or whatever. Maybe, or maybe people that you respect might think is wrong. And it does matter what people think. If that wasn't true, we wouldn't be in relationships. You know, we wouldn't have family relationships. I care about what my husband thinks. I have to, I love him you know? And so to say that people's opinions don't matter at all is just incorrect, but we give them improper weight. In fact, we allow people who should have the least weight in our lives to have sometimes the most weighted opinions and we'll allow those in. I feel like there should be almost like a thick skin on the front of us that says only certain things get past this. Because we don't want to be totally thick-skinned to the world. The re and the reason I say that is because then you're just like a very abrasive person. Sometimes you say things you shouldn't say because you really don't care what other people think and how they feel. And, and so you got to be careful. But on the flip side of that, you also don't want to be so open and so gushy that you let every single thing in, every pest, every roach. We No, no. You don't, you don't need to be that person. Just like everything, there is a happy balance that should be had in our lives. And if we can keep a happy balance, we will be happy. In my life, I know that I've met millions and millions of situations and hundreds and hundreds of people. And those millions of situations I've learned from, I write down the things I'm learning and I go, oh, Guess what? If somebody in their life is not able to do things or say things that are always very helpful or very thoughtful of other people's feelings, or maybe they're harsh, that person doesn't get a say in my insides. They don't get to come in to my insides. And I'm, I'm not saying build a wall. What I'm saying is you don't need to let everything hurt you. One time I was at a um, Walmart early in the morning, 6am. I'm putting away a shopping cart and 
a man came out and he screamed at me because I didn't put it all the way down to the shopping cart return. I just had a few minutes. I was late for a, a game for my kids and I put it by my car. I know it's the wrongest thing to do, but I had a moment and I was in a hurry. 6 a.m. man, not thinking. And just so you know, I spent summers putting away carts for um, Albertsons. So trust me, I know. Um, but he came out, he said all these horrible things. And from that, I drove away going, I can't believe I was called all those crazy names. Like he said some of the worst words I've ever heard a human say, just because in to return a cart. And it was so interesting. Um, this was maybe like oh, eight years ago, but I'll never forget driving away going, hey, I'm actually fine. The guy was just grumpy. Honestly, I feel like now I, I know that this is going to paint me in a square. So just hold up on your judgment. But in some ways, in some ways, men are better at that than women. In some ways, not all men, not all women, right? But in many cases, men are able to bounce back from situations and just get past it, get over it and not rehash. Whereas women, we would love to just rehash and ruminate and allow ourselves to be wounded and cry. We don't need to do that. We don't. That person deserved zero room inside of me. They didn't deserve an ounce of space. Um, that person had no idea what I was going through that morning and, or if I had been going through something even worse. Um, you just can't allow people who are thoughtless to have space in your thoughts. People who say thoughtless things don't deserve space in your thoughts. It's not wrong. Um, I feel, I feel like women are like, well, if I feel this way, then I'm saying that people don't matter. No, people matter. Everyone matters. Even that person who was a jerk to me, he matters. But I'm not going to allow his horrible moment inside of me because I don't have to. That's the beauty of the knowledge of the Lord. As you become filled with his truth, his knowledge, you start to realize that the knowledge of the world is, is, in, is just, it falls away. It sloughs off of us. It's not real knowledge. Um, people that think that they can tell you what their thoughts and feelings are and, and that is fact, but it's just not fact, is it? It's opinions. I don't even think that guy will hold that opinion for very long of me either. I think that if he got to know me or if he um, and I met, it would that that would go away. So here we are, back to fear. Fear of rejection, fear of um, judgment, those things stop us from truly embracing ourselves. There's a lot of things right now that you would be doing, but you're like, oh no, I'm afraid of what other people think of me. Now remember, people that you have true um, respect for, if you're losing eyes in the people that you truly respect, okay, that's not, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying people who you don't even know, who you've never been, you may never know, or there was that one person who doesn't deserve 
space of your thoughts. When you're being held back by, I'm worried about this or that of what other people think, and that is just this personified abstract, you've got to stop yourself for a minute. Put down your priority list of who matters. My Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, they matter the most, right? They matter. What they believe and think of me matters beyond compare. And I know that my worth to them never changes. Now, my worthiness might change, but my worth never changes to them. And so, yeah, they deserve a spot at the very top. Second to all of that is my husband. He knows me. He is my companion. He is everything that I need to be making happy in my life and that I crave, you know, love and um, communion and kindness and all of these human things we need from each other, right? When it comes to our children, um, I, I put them down on my list too because I truly care about them enough to where I do listen to them. Um, they don't have, none, nothing that they say is going to have the weight as my heavenly father or my husband. But now you start to see that I, I, they, I have priorities of who gets space inside my head. If that makes sense. Um, I, I've learned in my life that if you do not face your fears, they grow. And so if you're supposed to be doing something, you know, you're supposed to be doing something, but you're afraid of it. You want to do something and it's a good thing but you're afraid, okay, well, then you need to go. You need to do it now. There's this tip that um, people will say, um, I think it was Mel Robbins that came up with it, but it was like the countdown. You do this thing where you go five, four, three, two, one, and you go. Um, It wasn't that many months ago, um, Rachel Hollis came, and she's the author of the book, um, Girl, Wash Your Face. That was kind of fun to be in a room with her, listening to her. And she she talks about what she likes to do is if she knows that she's supposed to be doing something and she's afraid of it, then she puts on a, p- a piece of music. And she and whatever it is, it's going to be a music that like bumps her up or amps her up, like just gets her full of energy. And then she will do whatever it is that she's um, afraid to do. Now, for you, that might be a phone call to your parents. Or for you, that might be a phone call to your kid's teacher at school. Whatever it is, make sure that the Lord is with you on that. Pray beforehand. Make sure that everything that you do is bringing light and hope to this world, even if they don't deserve it. I feel like in in many cases, the things that scare us sometimes um, don't have to be done. Sometimes we're like, well, I know I need to do this. Well, make sure that you really do need to. But past that, you need to live your life. If you're afraid to start a new diet or if you're afraid to, um, you know, start a new company, you know, at some point your Heavenly Father is asking you to do things and try things. You're here to learn. If you're allowing the fear of failure to stop you, from going and doing the things you want to do. Is that really living? You know, take it from somebody who's almost died twice. It's not worth waiting for. Just do it. So many things in my life that I am so glad that I just 
jumped out there, bit off more than I could chew, and I uh, went for it. And I don't have those regrets ever. Uh, I, I have maybe three or four out of my whole life that I could say are true regrets, and they're still not even that horrible, mostly because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the standards that I keep. They've stopped me from a thousand horrible, regrettable mistakes. But past that, there are things that Heavenly Father doesn't have to compel you in all things. If you want to go hike right now on a mountain that's nearby, you know, what? you don't always need to consult for hours and hours and ring yourself out and hope and pray that this is Heavenly Father's will. Sometimes you just need to do things. Um, he is there for us, so don't get me wrong. But he doesn't need to compel you in all things. If you need him to stand right next to you and tell you every little thing that you should do, well, are you down here learning? Or are you really just hoping for Satan's plan, which was a plan of perfect perfection, where you were told every little thing to do and you were forced to do it? Okay, no, that isn't Heavenly Father's plan. His plan was to allow us to grow by learning through listening and keeping the commandments and also through failure. Failure has to happen. Without failure, you do not learn things in a manner that stays with you for very long. I mean, even people who experience failure might, might experience it over and over and over. And the reason for that is because we need to still learn from it. So I hope today you've thought about facing your fears. I know I threw a lot of, uh, in this situation good, in this situation bad, uh, gray, figure it out. Yeah, that's kind of how it works in life. But your scriptures will guide you. Keep the commandments. You will find yourself in amazing places if you believe in who you are. Knowing that your Heavenly Father expects you to do great things with your life. He expects you to inherit kingdoms, thrones, principalities, and powers and dominions. You have a great and important worth there's so much on this earth that we need to accomplish. We can't allow fear to step in front of that and stop us. I hope that helps you and I hope that gives you something to chew on. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.